0: Uh, Maybe one good thing that that 2020 has done for us is that it it shows us, actually, how immovable and unstoppable Christmas truly is. Uh, I'm talking about the the real meaning of Christmas when I say that. I mean, for some of us, our our, our celebrations may have changed, and they may look a little bit different this year than they do normally. Uh, But the real reason for our celebration can never be canceled, the real thing that we celebrate, that we should be celebrating at Christmas, can never be stopped. It's immovable, unstoppable, unshakable. The hope, this hope that we celebrate, and perhaps a year like this one actually does us a favor in helping us to cling to the glory, that glorious hope, all the tighter. Uh, what am I talking about? I'm talking about the glorious hope of God with us, Emmanuel. One name and its meaning that we find in our text today uh, for this Christmas Eve, Matthew 1, 18 through 25. If you want to turn there, if you have a Bible with you, you can turn there and, and just stand with me, if you will, real quick for the reading of God's Word. Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for this time to gather, um, both in this room and in homes all over the place tonight, and and just to to fix our our eyes and our hearts on you, Lord Jesus, at the great lengths that you have gone to to be God with us. And Lord, we pray that that would give us a glorious hope that, that nothing could shake, nothing could take from us. And that we would cling to you all the more tightly tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You may have a seat. Right, this is a a familiar passage for this time of year. Uh, But these words are are more than familiar. They are powerful words. They they are life-giving, life-changing words. And and there is one word in particular that stands out from all the rest. And it's, it's the word, or rather the name, Emmanuel. Right? It's, it's a word that sums up the glorious hope of Christmas, right? A, a hope that can't be canceled, can't be taken from us, uh, can't be taken from the Christian. It's immovable, unstoppable. Emmanuel, God with us. John Wesley, uh, the great founder of the Methodist church, as he was dying, these were his final words, right? With a little bit of strength that he had left, he said, the best of all is God is with us. The best of all is God is with us. Emmanuel. These are our words of comfort, words of hope for you today, whether you're, you're in this room, whether you're joining us online, uh, whether you're surrounded by loved ones this year, or, or Christmas is a little bit more feeling separated and isolated. The glorious hope of Christmas is you need not be alone. Jesus has come, and in him God is with us. I am with you always, Jesus says at the end of Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 28, verse 20. I am with you always until the end of the age. And then what happens after that? Well, Jesus returns, and he ushers in the fullness of his kingdom and glory, and we will be with him forever and ever and ever, right? Enjoying his presence, In Christ, you are never alone. Even more, the presence you most desperately need is always with you. The presence of the one who moves toward you in your sin and your suffering. Who's not ashamed to move toward you in the midst of your your, your sin and your suffering. The presence of one who possesses limitless grace and mercy. Who comes to you, not in spite of your sin, but because of your sin, he comes toward you to save you from your sins. What a glorious hope, God with us. John Wesley died with those words on his lips, and and may you and I live with those words on our hearts. So let's focus on these three words for just a moment tonight, God with us. Let's walk through each of them, thinking on the significance of each word. First, let's think on the truth that Jesus is God. Secondly, that he is God with us. And finally, let us consider the life-changing news that he is God with us. Right? Jesus is God. Uh, the real meaning of Christmas is that God became a man. God took on flesh, the creator and the sustainer of the universe who spoke everything into existence. Not anything was made not, that wasn't made through him. He added human nature to himself and came as one of us, being born as a baby, a humble baby in the most humble conditions. All the other things that we think about at Christmas time and what Christmas might mean, you know, love and peace and joy, all of that, they're, they're really secondary to this reality. They flow out of this truth. The Bible is unapologetic, telling us over and over and over again, Jesus is God. This passage in, in Matthew's gospel is the first place where we're, we're formally introduced to Jesus in the opening chapter of the opening gospel account, the opening book of the New Testament. Uh, and right away, the message is, Jesus is God. He's God. Not a good teacher, not an inspirational figure. He's, he's God in the flesh. And throughout this passage, throughout the entirety of the New Testament, and many places in the Old Testament, we are told in every possible way, Jesus is God not just a good teacher, not an inspirational figure, God in the flesh. We've been looking the last few weeks in the season of Advent at the, the first chapter of, of Paul's letter to the Colossians, and, and it very plainly tells us in that, that opening chapter, Jesus is God. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Paul isn't leaving it up for us to wonder, well, who is this Jesus? Uh, who is he? What's he about, right? He, he's the creator and sustainer of the universe. He is before all things. In Christ, all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. He is God, And we see at least three pieces of evidence here in this passage from Matthew chapter 1. First, we see that that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Verse 18 tells us that Mary was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Uh, Mary and Joseph, were told, were engaged, right? A very formal engagement in this culture that, that, that required a certificate of divorce to break the engagement. And Mary is found to be with child. Joseph and Mary have not come together as husband and wife yet. And Joseph is ready to divorce her quietly because this is clearly not his child. Until an angel appears to him in a dream confirming that the child was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the Son of God. He's begotten, not made very God a very God. The second piece of evidence is the significance of his name. And, and this gets lost on us in our culture because uh, names don't really always mean a whole lot to us. Like when we're naming our children, uh, we're, we like the sound of it. So that's why we give them, them that name, or at least no one else has ever ever ruined that specific name for us. So it's a safe one to name our kids. Of course, Maybe our kids will someday ruin that name for other people when they come, it comes time for them to name their children, but, but we don't really think about the meaning of names quite the same way. But in the Bible, that's not the way it works, right? No one in the Bible uh, gets named after someone's favorite sports hero uh, or, or just because it sounds cool. They were given a name with meaning, a name carried in it the essence of their identity, this is who you are, right? This is your name. This is who you are. And also, whoever gives you your name in the Bible has a lot of significance. Because the one who names you has responsibility for you, has authority over you, right? They give you your name that you will be known by for the rest of your existence. That's significant. And we read this in verse 21. The angel speaking to Joseph, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The angel here is speaking on behalf of God. And in verse 25, we read that Joseph, Joseph does call his, his name Jesus, but, but who really named Jesus? It's not Joseph. It's God who names Jesus. And because Jesus is God in carrying out uh, his, this, his mission of living and dying and rising to save us from our sins, Jesus submits only to God the Father. Uh, the truth is, is that when Joseph calls him Jesus, Joseph is actually submitting in that moment to his son, to Jesus, his adopted son. Joseph is obeying what he was told by, by God through the angel, and he's agreeing to adopt Jesus as his, and raise him as his son but God won't allow Mary or Joseph to name their child. He won't allow it. Because to allow them that is to allow them to think that they have authority over him. And no one has the right to name Christ but God. Why? You realize at the moment that Jesus was born, he was already older than his parents. He's not a mere human being, right? He's the Son of God, the eternal Word who has no beginning and no end, who spoke everything into existence. His parents were were supposed to recognize this right away from the very beginning. As we sing in that great hymn that we've looked at over these past few weeks, Hark the Herald Angels Sing veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Jesus is God in the flesh. No one has authority over him. And look at the meaning of his name. You shall call him, his name Jesus. Why? Because of his life's work, for he will save his people from their sins. It's right there in his name. He is the Savior, Jesus, which literally means the Lord saves. He is God. The final piece of evidence found in verses 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus comes as the fulfillment of prophecy, not just one prophecy, but many prophecies, many. This one comes from Isaiah chapter 7, but he's also the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, spoken of in Isaiah 9. He's also the suffering servant, spoken of in Isaiah 53. Those newborn baby feet of Jesus were the feet that would one day fulfill the promise of Genesis 3.15 and crush the serpent, Satan's head. Jesus is God. Even more, Jesus is God with us. This word with is really the beautiful part. The creator and sustainer of all things, this great God of incomparable glory and majesty, has been made man. And Jesus willingly sets aside the comforts of heaven, perfect fellowship within the Godhead with the Father and the Holy Spirit, for all eternity. He willingly sets that aside to step into our mess, to come alongside us, to be with us, to make intimate, personal relationship with Him possible to us. And this changes everything. In our celebrity craze culture, right, and with the advent of social media, for better or for worse, You can know all about your favorite musician, your favorite actor, your favorite athlete, right? You can follow them on their social media, right? You can see the photos that they want to post of, like, what they're eating, what they're doing. It's always perfect and lovely in their life, right? Nothing ever goes wrong in anybody's life on social media. It's all the good stuff. So you can know so much about them. You can see whatever pictures they want to post of themselves, their family, their home, their vacation, whatever. It's a little bit creepy, But we can kind of learn a lot about people like that. But you can know so much about them. But when it's all said and done, you may know a lot about them, but you still don't actually know them. You still don't actually really know them. They don't know you, and you don't really know them. There's no mutual understanding between you. No real relationship. It's just fandom. You know, it's one thing to go and stand out and look upon the ocean and see the, the breakers, right? Or, or to look over the vast expanse of the Rocky Mountains. And in that moment, to kind of feel a sense of God's presence and majesty as you see something so beautiful. But it's still another thing to know God personally, to know Him. And in the person and work of Jesus Christ, God makes that knowing possible. He is God with us, God among us, as one of us. Jesus knows more than anyone else what it's like to to be in your shoes, what it is to experience the the highs and the lows of your life. More than anyone else, he understands your pain and your suffering. We're told this, he comes to us as a great high priest. Hebrews chapter 4, 14 and 16. Tells us, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He's faced everything that you faced, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus understands and you can go to him because Jesus has come to deal with our sin that separates us from God. God became man to take our sin away, to take away our fear and shame and guilt, to do away with it once and for all by his life death, and resurrection. He lives the sinless life that you never could. He dies the death that you and I deserve for our sins. And he's raised victorious over the grave. This is the true wonder of God with us. You can't understand the manger without the cross. You can't. Jesus was born to die, to reconcile us to God. God came to to be with us that we might come to be with him. Jesus is God with us. And lastly, Jesus is God with us, with you and me. This last word, us, is interesting because it's, it's a limited term. And this is where it gets a little dicey. Right? It begs the question, right? It doesn't say God with all. It says God with us. It's limiting. So who's the us? Who's the us that God has come to be with, that Jesus has come to save? Is it the really well put together people who just seem to have it all together in their life all the time? Is that the us? Right? Is it the, the super moral people who always do the right thing? No. Who is the us? Who does God come to be with? If you look at the gospel accounts kind of surrounding the birth of Jesus, you, you'll see the us is always people who are humble people who have been invited and they humbled themselves to receive the invitation. Think about the shepherds in Luke chapter 2 at the birth of Jesus, right? When the angel appears before them to announce the birth of Christ, they have to feel like we've been busted, right? We're in trouble. They fear for their lives at the moment the angel appears to them. Right? Shepherds are not cute and cuddly people, you know, in the scriptures. They are are rough, sketchy characters. Not super moral people at all. Quite the opposite. People who most certainly would have felt caught and condemned when the angel first appeared to them. And Luke records that they're filled with great fear, but they receive good news. They receive an invitation, and they humbly receive that invitation. They go to see the newborn king, and they respond in worship. The wise men in Matthew's, uh, Matthew chapter 2, they, they follow a star and humbly come to see and to worship Jesus. If you really dig into God's Word, what you will see is, is it's not people who have it all together who are the us. It's not super moral people. It's not people who think they're somebody. It's not people who think they've earned or deserve something from God. That's not the us. It's the people who come humbly. The people who come knowing that that by their own merits, they have nothing, nothing to give, no reason to come, nothing to bring. The us is always people who come saying to the Lord, you owe me nothing. I deserve nothing. I'm a sinner in need of grace. You have no reason to accept me. It's only because of what Jesus has done, Lord. He's my hope. He's my rescue. He's the only thing that qualifies me. I come to receive him and to worship him as my savior and my king. That's the us. People who respond like that. Those who come to Jesus with their hands empty, knowing that he is God with us. He's your hope. He's your comfort. He's your righteousness what qualifies you. He's your life. The us are those that realize that all you really need is to feel your need of him, to see that you need a savior. And there he is, arms open wide, ready to receive you and welcome you. He is God with us, and that's all that it takes to be with him. See your need and respond. Jesus is God with us, God who humbled himself, who took on flesh to, to live in our place the sinless life we fail to live. The, the God who took on flesh that he might die the death that we deserve to save us from our sins, who was raised, resurrected in the flesh, who did all of this that we might be with him. Emmanuel, God with us, the glorious hope of Christmas. It's unstoppable. It's unstoppable. Every, even in a year like this one, it is available to us. The true meaning and hope of Christmas cannot be canceled, right? It can't be canceled. The hope of knowing the one who, who, who can most understand where you're at, who can most comfort you where you're at, deliver and rescue you from where you're at, is exactly the one who has moved toward you in your sin and your suffering. Even in isolation and loneliness, he is there. Nothing can stop him from moving toward you. Consider all that he's done to be with you and ask yourself this question. Am I with him? Am I with him? Have you humbled yourself to receive his invitation? To respond? Friends, I would urge you tonight that you look on your life and you acknowledge that you have a great need for rescue. But I, I also urge you to look upon Jesus and see that he has a greater provision for that need. See his heart for you and all that he has endured and gone through to be with you, that you might also be with him. And go to him this night and find in Jesus a glorious hope and a deeper joy that can never be taken from you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Uh, We we thank you for the gift of sending your son to to be God with us. Jesus, thank you for coming and identifying with us. Thank you for pursuing us at our very worst and doing everything required to save us from our sins. By your spirit, we pray that you would humble us to to receive your invitation to be with you, to know and to be known by you, to know your love and your comfort and your peace. May we live with the glorious hope of God with us on our hearts. And may you use us to share that hope with others for your glory and our joy. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.